chapter 10, okay? And when you turn to chapter 10, what you're going to notice is, is that there is a bunch of he begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and the other so-and-so begat another so-and-so, and most people don't care to read all this, okay? But there's a lot of stuff in here, and I told you we were going to preach through the whole Bible. We're going through Genesis, been through John, we've been through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, right? So we're going through Genesis, and I got to chapter 10, and I said, man, I could skip chapter 10 because most people aren't going to want me to preach, on so-and-so begetting so-and-so and and another so-and-so begetting the next so-and-so. But the problem is there's good stuff in here. And there's a reason that this is put in our Bible, all right? What's the first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. What does it say? All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Amen? So if we believe that all scripture is God-breathed, Anybody understand what that really means? That means God breathed out. He spoke out these scriptures. If we know that, if we believe that all scripture is God-given, God-breathed, then we can't get to Genesis 10 and go, I don't know if I want to read that. Amen? Now, there's several reasons why this is in this uh, portion of scripture. There's a reason Moses put it in here. Number one, God told him to. Amen. Can I get an amen? Somebody. Amen. God told Moses. Moses wrote all this down on Mount Sinai. Come on. He went up there and he was up there for how long? 40 days. Okay. He's on top of Mount Sinai for 40 days. Okay. If you think that he was just up there having a party with God, you got another thing coming. Amen. How else would he walk down the hill with the Pentateuch? Come on, Matt, he, he came down with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, right? He came down, came down from Mount Sinai with that in his hand, okay? So let's understand that this part was definitely one of the first things that God gave him, amen? Genesis has to be. He's up on the mountain for 40 days with God. They weren't just having tea. They were talking. God was instructing him. God was teaching him. God was giving him the word, the law, everything, right? So let's understand that while we're reading this. we got to understand that Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? We know that. Can I get an amen? So this is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now that I've said all that, we're going to read chapter 10, and I'm going to do my very best not to butcher all these names, okay? And if you think you can do better, I'll hand you the microphone. <laughs> Amen. Now, these are the generations of the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And unto them were born sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, and Meshesh. And Tyrus. And the sons of Gomer were Asher Kenazah. Asher Kenaz. Yeah, Asher, Asher Kenaz. That sounds good. And Repath and Togar. Togamar. Togamara. There we go. And the sons of Javan were Elisha and Tershish and Kittim and Dodan. Uh, Dodanim. Dodanim. There we go. 
By these were the uh, uh, by these were the isles of the Gentiles divided into their lands, every one after his tongue, and after their family in their nations. Now I want you to hold on to that phrase because this phrase in verse five is the whole key, the whole reason this is all being written. Okay, and every single son, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, all of their lineages end with the same phrase. There's a reason for that. Moses is doing this for a purpose, okay? Now let's read Ham's and then Sham's, okay? The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizram, Put, Canaan. And the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Tabit, and Ramah, and Shabachich, Shabachicha, yeah, and Ramah. Seba and Dedan and Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech uh, and Akeda or Achan and Kalech and the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Asher and builded Nineveh and the city of Rehoboth and Calah. And resin between Nineveh and Calah, the same is a great city. And Miriam begot Ludim and Enanim and Lahabim and Nephtalim. And Pad, uh, Path Rezim and Castlehim, out of whom came the Philistim, and Cassaturim, and Canaan begat Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Gergesite, and the Hivite, and the Arachite, and the Sinite. And the Aberdite and the Semite, uh, Semirite, Zemirite, excuse me, and the Hamathite, and afterward the families of the Canaanites spread abroad. And the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon, and as thou comest to uh, Gerar unto Gaza, and as, as thou goest unto Sodom and Gomorrah and Adam and Zeboim and unto Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, after their families, after their tongues, and in their countries, and in their nations. See how it ends that? With the same thing that they ended the, uh, the Japheth's sons. Okay, now we're going to get to Sham. Unto Sham also, the father of all the children of Eber, and the son of, uh, the brother of Japheth, the elder, even to him were children born. And the children of Sham are Elam, Asherah, Arafaxed, Lud, Aram, and the children of Aram, Uz, Hol, Gether, Mash, and Arafaxed begat Selah, and Selah begat Eber. And unto Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. And Joktan begat Almadad, 
and Shaleth, and Hermazebeleth, and Jerah, and Hadoram, and Uzal, and Dekla, and Obel, and Abin, 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 Abimel, Sheba, and Ophir, and Havilah, and Jobab, and all these were the sons of Joktan. And their, and their dwellings was from Misha, as thou goest unto Shephar, a mount of the east. These are the sons of Shem, after their families, after their tongues, and in their lands, after their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah, after their generations, in their nations, and by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. Now this is the whole point to everything I just read. And you probably won't remember any of those names, save for maybe Nimrod, right? And maybe Sham's descendants, because they were way easier to say than all the other two brothers. Can I get an amen on that, okay? Lord have mercy. I don't speak Hebrew. I don't even speak Hebrew translated into English, okay? Apparently, or I could have read their names better, okay? Do you know how I, you know how I get them names right in my head? They just don't come out of my mouth. I listen to somebody else say them. You got a Bible app, you can turn it on, it'll read it for you, and they say them way better than I do, okay? I don't know how he does it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know enough good English, apparently, to speak that well with those names, okay? Uh, Kyle is probably looking at me going, that's an easy name. That's an easy name. That's an easy name. <laughs> Especially when you're trying to read them in public, okay? Like, what? Something happens. Anyway, I want to read a little note that I wrote from my ESV study Bible. It says uh, about... This whole chapter, this entire passage sets out largely in the form of lists how the descendants of Noah's three sons populated different regions of the earth. Additional details of special interest are occasionally added. This genealogical and geographical passage is describing a process that covered a long period of time as family clans migrated to particular regions. The ancestors after whom the clan or tribe is named may not have lived in the region that later bears his name. Each of these three main parts of this section concludes with a reference to clans, languages, and nations. Now, the problem, uh, or what Noah, or what Moses faced in writing this was God knew that he was telling Noah this whole story, and they knew that the earth just got destroyed, right? The flood happened, right? That's what we just got through reading in Genesis 8 and 9, right? Well, starting start chapter 6, right? So we understand that the flood happened. So there's only eight people on the face of the whole earth when the flood's over, right? You got Noah, his wife, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their three wives, right? That's eight, right? Five plus three is eight. I can do remedial math, okay? Eight people on the whole planet. So the question always arises, well, how did we get all these different nations? Here's the answer. They're giving you the answer in this whole chapter. That's why Moses is writ wrote chapter 10, was so that you know where these people came from. 
Now, I can break it down for you even farther, and I can actually use Genesis 10 to help you in apologetics. If you don't know what apologetics is, that's defending your faith. Okay? Because right now, there's a movement afoot that if you haven't ran into it yet, you'll run into it at some point. It's called the Black Hebrew Movement. And these are people who say that only black people are Israelites. National Jews, Arab Jews, they're not really Israelites. Because only the children of Ham are Israelites, which is actually not true. The children of Ham were not descended from Abraham. They were descendants of Noah, but they were not descendants of Abraham. Because Abraham line goes through which son? Anybody know? Sham and the Canaanites and most of the African countries were populated by Ham's lineage, not Sham's. That's where this comes into play. Because when they go, oh no, we're the true Israelites, you can go, no, you're not even children of Abraham. You're children of Noah, but we're all children of Noah. Amen. Just because we're on this earth doesn't mean we're children of Abraham biologically. Amen. The only way you're really a child of Abraham now is what? How? By faith. The Bible says that in Christ, faith in Christ, I'm heirs and joint heirs with Jesus according to the promises of Abraham and have been grafted into the promises of Abraham. But that doesn't happen outside of faith in Christ because genealogy doesn't save you. Being from a certain tribe doesn't save you anymore. Only faith in Christ saves you. Amen? So, uh, I wanted to bring that up right at the beginning. Uh, number one thing that I wanted to point out, and I'm going to give it to you guys because you don't know this, okay? But Genesis has 11 different starting points in it. They call them tobits, Okay? And it's the word generation, okay? And if you go read through Genesis, you're going to find this word, okay? I'm going to spell it for you so that you know I'm not making it up, okay? It's toldoth, T-O-L-E-D-O-T-H. And toldoth means generations. But when Genesis uses this, it uses it to split up different sections of Genesis, okay? And this is the fourth told off that we've ran into in the book of Genesis. Now I want to take you to the last or the, the second one that we notice, okay? It's in chapter 2 at verse 4. It separates, it starts a brand new story, okay? Because chapter 2, we don't we don't have how many know we don't have chapter and verse in the Hebrew, right? Like there's no numbers Right, so the the splitting of the information happens at verse two, okay, or at verse uh, four, excuse me, chapter two, verse four, because what you have from chapter one to chapter two, verse three, is the creation story, right? And then right here at verse four, it says these are the generations, the toldoth. And they use this in the Hebrew. You can see it really good. It splits up the storyline. We just told you about creation, how God did it in seven days, how he completed his work on the seventh day and rested. And then he says, these are the generations of the heavens and earth 
when the earth was created and the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. That was the second pulled off that was used, okay? Right now we're coming to the fourth here in Genesis 10. This is another told off. It's splitting it up because we just had the story of the flood, right? Now he's giving you the generations of the sons of Noah or the told off. He's giving you a, a genealogy here and he's doing it for a reason because he's splitting the story up. Not only is he giving you this genealogy, but it's directly tied in with the next story. What's the next story? The Tower of Babel. Who builds the Tower of Babel? Nimrod, which is in the lineage of uh, Ham. Amen? So there's multiple reasons that, Noah, or that Moses has given us Noah's descendants. Amen? So I wanted to point out first that this is the fourth told off that we're looking at, okay? Next, I want to go to verse 1 because verse 1 is kind of important, okay? It says, obviously, that this is uh, the beginning of this told off, but verse 1 says, Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were sons born after the flood. Verse 2, it goes into Japheth. Gomar, Magog. Now, how many of you know that Magog is in Revelation? Gog and Magog set themselves up against Israel, right? That's what happens. These names are not thrown out here just to fill space. Amen? All of these are important parts of Israelite history of Jewish history, of world history, the Canaanites, right? Who, who inhabits the land when Israel comes out of the promise or comes out of Egypt and they go to inhabit the promised land? Who's there? It's the land of Canaan. The Canaanites are there, right? And the Hittites and the Philistines, right? This is the land flowing with milk and honey. Had grapes so big you could, you know, fill, you could, big as your head, right? Like, had all kinds of fruit stuff, but they were scared to go in there. Why? Because there were giants in the land, right? This same place, we see the beginnings of those people. From the line of Ham come the Canaanites, okay? Uh, some other people that you might want to just take note of when we're, when we're coming through, even uh, Eber uh, is an important person in the the. Redemption history, uh, Elam, Asherah, uh, there's several people in here, okay? But I want to go back to uh, read a note here that I have on uh, verse 1, okay? The generations of the son of Noah in the fourth, and are, this is the fourth of 11 toldos sections in Genesis. And I already gave you one, Genesis 2, 4. Genesis 5, 1, Genesis 6, 9, Genesis 11, 10, 11, 27, Genesis 25 and 12, 25 and 19, 36 and 1. I know I'm going fast. Uh, 36 and 9 and 37 and 2. The purpose of this section is twofold. To show that Noah's sons fulfilled the commandment to be fruitful and multiply and spread out over all the earth. And to distinguish the chosen line 
lines of Noah's descendants, the Japhethites uh, and the Hamites, or excuse me, let me re repeat this. It says that it is to distinguish the unchosen lines of Noah's descendants, Japheth and the Hamites, from the line that would be both the recipient and the agent of God's special blessing to the rest of humanity, the Shamites. Genesis 10, 1 through 32 lists the total of 70 descendants in the family lines of Sham, Ham, and Japheth. 70, a multiple of two numbers which suggests completeness. 7, the number of days of creation. 10, the number of fingers would have suggested to ancient Israelites a satisfying completeness, completeness to the quantity of persons and nations that came to be after the flood. So what he's saying, number one, is this is separating the Ham, the descendants of Ham, the descendants of Japheth, and the descendants of Sham. We know that Sham is going to be the great, 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 great grandfather of Abraham. Amen. So the line that God chose, notice God chooses all throughout scripture and it starts right here. God chooses the line of Sham, just like he chose the line of Seth before this. Adam's third son, right? So we have Seth to Noah and now we have Noah through Sham to Abraham and from Abraham down to Christ. And if you go and read the lineage of Jesus Christ, you can read from Jesus all the way back to Adam. Amen. And it goes through the line of Sham and the line of Seth. That's it. Amen. So I want, to, I want you to know that the reason that this is in here is very important. Because it's not just for uh, Noah's, uh, you know, choosing, you know, uh, Sham's children and blessing them and going to Abraham, but God wrote the beginning or the end from the beginning. Amen. So none of this is something that's unfolding before God. This is all stuff that God has already planned. All right. God doesn't ever wake up and go, hmm, I just didn't see Tamar coming to faith. And that one got by me. I didn't see that happening. Something else God never does. He, he never goes, man, I wonder why that guy didn't choose me. I just didn't see that coming. None of this stuff is a mystery to God because the Bible says that he declares the end from the beginning. Why? Because time means nothing to God. God is omnipresent. It means he's just as much in the past as he is in the future as he is right now in this room. Amen? That's hard for us to grasp because we only live right now. Right? But time doesn't mean anything to God. Nothing. Amen? Just like space doesn't mean anything to God. God's here and in heaven at the same time. Let, let that sink in, okay? God is outside the front door and in the room we're in. Right now. Amen? So God put this in here for a reason. Number two. I want to read a, another quick note from the Reformation Study Bible. It says this. Uh, Reformation Heritage Study Bible, excuse me. 
Now I want you to notice this. The descendants of Japheth, Gomer may have been linked to the Celts. The Welsh language is the Cimarag or Gimarag. Cimera, the Samaria, Galatia part of Turkey. Gaul is France. Uh, Galatia, northwest Spain. Magog is in the north, Ezekiel 38, 15, and may be linked to Scythia. Romania and Ukraine, Maldia or Madil, Madii or Madai, the ancestors of the Medes who later settled in parts of India. Javan may reference Greece, Daniel 8:21. Tubal is probably connected to the Caucasian Iberian Georgians, people by uh, Thebalites within the capital of Tibalus. Meshesh is probably connected to Maseroth, the lowlands, or Tyrus, linked to Thrace and Macedonia, uh, Macedonia. Excuse me. Now, here's what I want you to realize in this set of verses about Japheth's sons. I want you to notice one phrase, and you may not have a King James Bible, uh, but... I'll get you to read it out of the ESV in a second, okay? Please read me verse 5 in the ESV. I wish I had somebody with an NIV. Does anybody have an NIV? Nobody have an NIV? You got an NIV? I just want to, I want to show you guys some problems that we encounter in translating, okay? What's, what's his? Here, let me see it. New Living Translation. New Living Translation is okay. Uh, I want to just see what the ES or the uh, NIV says right there. Verse five, chapter ten, verse five. Genesis chapter ten, verse five. I want to show you guys something that you may not catch, okay? Because this is important, especially when we want to understand this story and why it's in here, okay? Maritime. Now, the ESV, which is probably one of my favorite translations, gets this wrong, okay? Uh, the NIV says maritime. The ESV says, say it again, coastal peoples. Both of those are inaccurate translations of a word that is used there, okay? The King James says this, and I want you to listen, and it's going to make all kinds of sense in a moment. By these were the isles of the Gentiles. That word does not mean coastal people. It doesn't mean maritime people. It means exactly what it says. People who were not descendants of Abraham. In this case, it actually means people who were not 
uh, pe people who were not descendants of Sham, which later on, it's the Abraham and then Israel. Amen? So anybody who was not an Israelite later on is called a what? A Gentile. That's who we are. Amen? We're not Jews by birth. We're Gentiles. Amen? So this word, I took the liberty of looking it up for you, okay? Just because I knew it was wrong because when I read it, I thought, man, because uh, I read it out of ESV and then I read it out of NIV and I read it out of uh, King James and I was like, what word is used there? So I got my Greek lexicon out. I got my Greek Bible out or and my Hebrew Bible out, excuse me. Got my Hebrew lexicon out and I was like, what's this word? The word is goy, okay? And goy means this. Nation, people, usually non-Hebrew people, not of Abraham's descendant, not of Israel, a foreign nation, hence Gentile or heathen, okay? So God is showing you even here in Genesis chapter 10 that he's setting the people apart, right? He's setting Shem apart. He's setting this people apart for this area. He's setting these people apart for this area. Amen. Uh, I have a little note in the Reformation Heritage Study Bible on this verse. It says, the Isles of the Gentiles primarily refers to the sons of Japheth and the European dispersion. It's telling you that these people went e or, yeah, uh, west towards the Mediterranean, the northern Mediterranean, to the European parts of the Mediterranean. Spain, Greece, Romania, amen? This is those people. In other words, I'm going to say it in plain modern English, these is white folks, right? White folks was descendants from Japheth originally, amen? Now, I don't know that they were necessarily white, but we know that they were later, right? We know that Greece and, and Spain looked very less dark-complected than people in Africa, right? We know that. That's not hard to prove, right? Also, we note that these people also went up to the northern parts, towards Germany and places like that. And we know Germans are white, right? Like I'm like 70, 90, 70 to 80 percent German, okay? I'm pretty white. I don't know if you can tell. But it's telling you that these are Gentile people also. It's putting a separation in there. So when people go, well, where did the, the Gentile nations come from then? Here it is. You get your King James Bible out and you show them. This is where the Gentile people came from. Japheth. Right? It's what it says. It's because the word in Hebrew that's used there does not mean coastal people. Goy. G-O-E is the pronunciation. The spelling is G-O-W-Y. Hebrew word 1471. Goy. Okay? Goy. And I wrote down everything that is in there that it says it is. And none of it means maritime. None of it means coastal. That word, the only reason they put it in there like that is because the word before it says coastal. But the people are described as Gentiles. 
or not Hebrew. Amen. It's making an extrapolation from the word previously. Okay, the word previously in the Hebrew was coast, and then they added to those and say coast people. But that's not really accurate. These are different people. They're all people, obviously. Right? So we got to understand that the reason that the King James picked the word Gentile is because that is part of the definition. Heathen people. People who are not Hebrew. Amen? Which is us, me, you, everybody else. Right? Anybody that isn't a Jew by birth. Okay? Uh, number two. When we go to the descendants of Shem, and there isn't a whole lot, or, or the descendants of Ham, excuse me, there isn't a whole lot said about the descendants of Japheth other than they are Gentiles, okay? Now, Ham has a very large portion dedicated to his lineage and a lot more focused on the Canaanites in his but we do run into an interesting character called Nimrod. Amen? Now, I want to read this again. It says, uh, where did I find Nimrod at? Oh, here we go. Verse 8. And Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord. So this Nimrod guy, if you do a little more research, he didn't just become a famous hunter. He also became a famous architect. He built cities, okay? He built cities all over this area. And even the town of Cush, okay, is where he, he, he had his origins there, right? So he went off and invaded like uh, Asherah was actually uh, Sham's descendant. But he went to Asherah and he obviously somehow conquers this city and builds another city close to there. Okay? It even says so. Now it says that he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. I want to read just a little bit about that. Number one, uh, Verse, the name Nimrod means rebellion or let us rebel. His name is preserved in many legends from Babylonia. He is undoubtedly the first great emperor of Babylon. After his death, legends state that he was defied, or defied, deified, excuse me, and worshipped as Marduk and or uh, Mardak, Moradak, and possibly the Egyptian god Osiris and the Hindu god Shiva. So all of these different religions can trace their religion back to Nimrod or false religion. Amen? Uh, now, why is that important? It's not until the next chapter when you read the Tower of Babel and you realize Nimrod is the one who built Babel, okay? Look at what it says here in this lineage. It says, now oh, where did I leave off? And, oh, right here.
right there. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, verse 9. And the beginning of his kingdom was, where? Babel. And Erich and Acadia and Kalan in the land of Shinar. Now, he starts and he builds Babel. This is the first place. And then he builds another city and another city and another city. And you can see his kingdom growing. Okay? So you got to understand that this isn't just happening overnight. Okay? This is all a pattern of all these different sons going their own separate ways, having children, building cities, doing this. Amen? Now, they live longer than me and you, right? We all understand that, right? They live, you know, three, four hundred years at this point. It started, it started going down after Noah and his son, but it took a while, okay? Uh, then it leads us right into the Canaanite story, okay? And we know that the Canaanites are important in redemption history. They're important in the story of uh, David. They're important in the story of Moses. They're important, in, amen? Uh, even in Jesus' day, there were Canaanites. Amen? So, we're going to get through this. Can I get an amen? Then I'm going to preach a message about it, okay? I got something for you. I'm, I'm not joking, okay? I'm going to preach about a lineage, okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, there was one thing that I wanted to point out that I forgot, and I kind of got off track of, with it. Now, I want you to go back to verse... Uh, I want you to go back to verse 5. Because I want you to notice one thing. I want you to put your finger on verse 5. And then we're going to go to verse 1 in chapter 11. Okay? Because I want to show you that this wasn't written chronologically necessarily. Okay? The genealogy has nothing to do with uh, time. Okay? Now watch this. What does chapter 11 say? Verse 1, and the whole earth was of one language and of one speech, right? Isn't that what it says? So let's go back to read verse 5 of chapter 10 because this is important for you to get. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided into their lands, every one after his tongue, after their family in their nation. Now it says in their tongue. Well, chapter 11 says there's only one tongue. So the dividing of all these different nations happened after the Tower of Babel. It had to have. There's no other explanation. And I can show you in the text. Watch this. Watch this. If you go back... Uh, where, where are we at? I think it's in Shem's lineage, okay? I think it's in Shem's lineage where we can see it. Uh, verse, where's the verse about Peleg? Oh, right there, verse 25. And unto Ebar were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg. Why? It tells you why, right? For in his day, the earth was divided. What does that mean? The earth was divided. Almost every scholar you talk to says this right here. Peleg was alive 
when the Tower of Babel happened, and that's when everybody was dispersed to their own lands, and the land was divided. Because at that point, they had one language, they all spoke one tongue, and they were building a town, right? In Babel. Who founded Babel? Nimrod. So Nimrod's got the whole earth, apparently, at this tower, building a tower under the heavens, right? And they get dispersed from that point. And every one of these lineages in chapter 10 state this. They all, these are all the uh, genealogies of this person as they were spread out with their own language, with their own, right? So this chapter 10 was going on, and then chapter 11 happens in the middle of it. Amen? And then they're dispersed, and they go to their different places, okay? So this is an act of God that's happening in that he's allowing them to do all this and knowing that he's about to divide them, right? Now, I want to finish with, uh, that was really my point about Sham was this dividing, this uh, this Tower of Babel event happens right here. Amen? Now, why is all this important? Because I know everybody goes, man, Pastor, this, this doesn't seem important. But I want to bring this around to you, okay? I want to show you something. First of all, this, I brought this one because the map is in color, and you can see the different names of the different people and where they went, okay? Now, I want you to hold this for a second. I'm going to show you. All of Ham's is green. Okay, where is most of Ham? Africa. Where is Sham? Arab countries, Middle East. Where is Japheth? All the lighter skin territories. Every one of them. Every one of them. It is interesting. I want you guys to see it too. Okay, look. Look. Ham and his descendants, all that green is where Ham went, okay? So we, when, when, when the, when the uh, black Hebrew Israelites tell you, oh, we're the descendants of Ham, they're right, they are. It's exactly where the Hamites settled, right? All of that. Now this is the Middle East, all of this, okay? This, the Arab countries, is where Sham was. Where was Abraham called out of? The Ur of the Chaldeans, which would have been right there. Okay? Oh, no, no. They think they're true Israel. But they, they don't have a solid foot to stand on that. They do a lot of scripture flipping to get to that point. Okay? So I don't know exactly how they do it, but I can tell you that it's not right. Yeah. <laughs> try to do is they try to say that Sham was also African or African looking. But I don't know that you can say that, okay? I think it'd be very hard pressed. Now, do I think that there was a certain color code involved with Noah and his sons? I don't think so. I think they all probably looked pretty similar at first, 
Amen? Now, I don't know that. Maybe they all look different. Maybe geneal- uh, maybe genetics worked a little differently way back then, but I doubt it. Amen? I don't think that I don't think that's the answer. No, I don't think so. Now, why is this important? This is the biggest part, okay? Number one, we know from this story how all countries, Gentile, the the Egyptian countries, the Arab countries, we know how all of it started from Noah and his three sons. Amen? Now, with that being said, we can also understand several things about the redemptive history, okay? Because God didn't write the Bible just for a book that we can argue about, right? He wrote the Bible as God's revelation of himself to us, amen? So how do I apply this revelation of God to myself? I apply it in several different ways. Number one, I know that God, when he caused the earth to be flooded and destroyed all life except for these eight people, that God had a plan to replenish the whole earth. When they got off the boat, he made a new covenant with man. He said, I'm going to set my rainbow in the sky, right? He said, I'll never again destroy the whole earth with a flood again. Amen. Come on, somebody. And then he said, go. At, he says the same thing that he said in Genesis to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Amen. He's telling them, go out there and replenish the earth. Fill the whole earth. Amen. And this proves that exactly what God told them to do is exactly what happened. Or you and I wouldn't be here. Amen. They did exactly what God told them to do. Now, did they get sidetracked with this whole tower thing in the next chapter? Yep. Now, how many of us can realize that when we, when God called us to salvation, that it's really easy for me to get sidetracked? Can I get an amen? Because what we're also seeing in this chapter is human depravity continuing to unfold for us from Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is the fall of man, right? Adam and Eve. Eve gets tricked by the serpent, eats the fruit, gets to Adam, he eats the fruit, and boom, sin enters the playing field, right? Very next sin that happens after Adam, all Adam and Eve did, and this is, I say it like this because this is what people think, okay? All they did was eat a piece of fruit. No, that's not what, that's not why they got cursed, okay? That's not why human beings got cursed. How many realize that the reason Adam and Eve cursed is because this infinitely holy, righteous God, who Adam knew personally, who Adam got the very commands of God. Hey, Adam, go name those animals. Hey, Adam, tend my garden. Hey, Adam, uh, go, uh, go make sure you're having dominion over this. And then he said, hey, Adam, don't eat of that tree. You can eat of every other tree, but don't eat of that tree. So Adam obviously did not disseminate this information well to Eve because Eve wasn't there yet. Amen? Can, can I get an amen? Eve was not around when God said, hey, don't eat that fruit. So Adam had to tell her, right? And Adam must not have did a good job of telling her because the serpent tricked her, right? Beguiled her, the King James says, right? Now, the reality is 
it wasn't what they did, it's who they did it against. Because if I sin against you, it's bad. But if I sin against God, it's worse. Okay? Now this person, the first man who ever was created, who walked with God in the cool of the day, okay? Who heard God, didn't even hear God's voice. He just said he heard the sound of the voice of God walking in the garden, and he hid himself, okay? This is how close Adam was to God. He could just hear the sound of God walking, and he knew it was God. That's how intimate Adam and God were because God created man, Adam, in his own image, in his likeness, was the crown of God's achievement in creation. And this man, made of dirt, defied the God of all the universe. That's the issue. It's not what you do, because people go, well, this is just a little sin, or that's just a little sin. It's not about the sin. It's who I'm sinning against. Amen? Now, I'm going to give you guys some perspective, because you haven't heard this analogy before. But if I go out there and I scratch my Honda Accord with a key, I mean, it's bad, right? But if somebody drove up in a Lamborghini and I scratched that car, Come on, somebody. There's a higher price to be paid, right? Why? Because it's not the sin. It's who you sin against, okay? If I sin against him, I'm sinning. The, now, the Bible says if I take a man's life, I'm sinning against God because God made man in his own image, right? Now, the sin is not the problem. It's who was sinned against. God deserves our obedience. Amen? It was expected. It was a given. God had never in the history of all the universe spoken to something and said, do this or don't do that. And it said, oh, I'm not going to do that. Had never happened until that piece of fruit. Amen? That's the problem. From that very moment, the very next sin was murder. Cain killed Abel. The very next thing that we see is that, uh, what was his name? Uh, oh gosh, the one that killed seven guys or two guys. Uh, can't remember. Let's go look it up. Let's just go look it up. I can find it. Go to Genesis 4, I believe it is. Lamech yeah 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 Lamech let's go find that though I want to show you how the process of sin developed okay Lamech's descendants right here verse four, uh, 19 of chapter uh, 4 and Lamech took unto him two wives, and the name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zillah. And Ada bare Jabal, and the father of such who dwell in tents, and such who have cattle. Uh, yeah, verse 23 is what I want. And Lamech said unto his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech, hearken unto me, unto my speech. For I have slain a man 
by my wounding and a young man by my hurt. If Cain should be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy-sevenfold. So here we have a piece of fruit, rebellion against God. The next sin was one man killing another. The next sin that we see is one man killing two people. And then by chapter 6, go to chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6. By chapter 6, it says, It came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were fair, and they took unto them wives. Uh, that's not the part I want. Go down to... Verse 5, yeah. Verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is what happened. That one sin, which was treason against God, it was treacherous for man to think, I don't have to listen to God, led to murder, double murder. And by Genesis 6, evil had spread through the heart of man to the point that every thought of his heart was wicked. That's why the Bible says, is it Ezekiel or Jeremiah, that the, the, the heart is wicked above all things. Deceitfully wicked above all things. And who can know it? When people say, follow your heart, no, unless your heart's been transformed by Christ, I wouldn't do it. And even after that, I would just follow the word of God and stop trying to follow my heart, okay? Because your heart is wicked. This happened because Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned, according to Romans 5, all sinned. All of us became sinners in Adam. Because what Adam did was perpetuate rebellion in the heart of every person. Hence Nimrod's name, rebellion. And he builds a tower unto the heavens. Because he was going to do just what Satan wanted to do. Satan said, I will ascend to the throne of God and make my throne above the throne of God. Which is the same thing Nimrod was trying to do. Which is why God confounds their language in the very next chapter. Because although the flood killed all of those people, it did not deal with sin. There was only one event in redemption history that dealt with sin. It wasn't the law. Because God gave Israel the law, and the law didn't deal with the sin problem. Israel continued to sin. Israel continued to walk away from God. Israel continued to commit idolatry after idolatry and run after false gods and run after the lusts of their own flesh, right? Sin is dealt with in Christ and only in Christ. This lineage makes every bit, it is just as much important as as. The book of Acts, just as important as John 3, 16. It's just as important as all that because it's giving you the very beginnings of God's plan to redeem mankind. And he started in the Garden of Eden. He said, and your seed will bruise his head. Amen? 
God put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And notice he said seed, not seeds, plural. The seed, the promise. And all throughout the Old Testament, we have these promises of a Savior, of God eventually going to deal with sin, and it all culminated in Jesus Christ. And here is just another step on the bridge to get to where this whole book, this whole thing was written so that God could tell you that he made a way for you out of sin. And that way is Christ who came through the line of David, who came through the line of Abraham, who came through the line of Shem, who came through the line of Seth. Who was born of Adam. In Adam, all men died. And in the second Adam, Christ, all men can live. Amen? That's why this is important. That's why we have to understand that the things of the scriptures are not written there just to fill space. It's not just, you know, God was like, well, we got, got like 20 minutes here. I need to write some genealogies in here so everybody knows where everything happened. No, it wasn't to fill space. It was so that you know, number one, God had a plan to, to fill the earth again. Number two, God had a plan to deal with all this sin that has utterly destroyed humanity. To the point that God just killed all the people that were on the face of the earth. Every plant, every animal that was on earth got killed. Except what was in the ark. Yet sin was still rooted in the human heart. You can see it when Noah gets out. Gets drunk, lays naked in his tent. Right? You can see it in, in uh, Nimrod. You can see it down in... Saul, you can see it uh, down in, in, in Egypt. You can see it even in Moses before he, God calls him to go save his people. What does Moses do? He kills an Egyptian. He's a murderer. So how is this all applicable? Because God chooses the weak things of this world, the things that nobody else would choose. A murderer like Moses. An adulterer like David. Amen? Come on, somebody. Are you glad God doesn't stop just because he saw sin? Because God has come and sent his son to redeem sinners. Amen? That's the whole point. That's the whole point of the whole book was God showing that I'm going to make a way. I'm going to save my people. What was the promise? What was the promise? The virgin shall be with child. You shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. And when that angel came to Joseph, he said, he said, I'm going to, don't be afraid to take Mary for your wife because that thing that's in her is born of God. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Matthew makes sure to record this, this is said to fulfill the scripture that said, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we get to John chapter 1, and we understand that this Emmanuel wasn't just another prophet, wasn't another some other good guy, but he was God himself. 
John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and nothing was made that was made without Him. Amen. All things. You get to John 1, 12. But to them who believe gave He the right to become the sons of God who were not born of blood, genealogy, not blood, born of the will of the flesh, my own human weakness that I could never, ever, ever follow God if I wanted to, nor of the will of man, but the will of God. God's will is to save. God's will is to redeem all those who believe. That's what this genealogy means to me. Can I get an amen? Let's stand and we're going to pray. Father God, I thank you and praise you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, for your mercy. I thank you that even when we read quote unquote boring passages, God, that we can find nuggets of truth. We can mine out gold, God, that would help us in our walk to follow you. Help us in our walk to have faith in you. Help us to, to run after you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, God. That we would not be led astray to the right hand or to the left. But God, when we see you working through the pages of history, even in Genesis, even through the genealogies of Japheth, Ham, and Shem, God, we know that just like you worked out that plan and worked out your will in their life, God, you are going to work out your plan and your will in our life. And we know that he, he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete the work that he started. God, we're going to trust you tonight. We're going to lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, we're going to acknowledge you, God. We're going to acknowledge you when we're reading passages that really set our hearts on fire. And we're going to read, and we're going to acknowledge you when we're reading passages that sometimes we'd rather not read, God. But we're going to look for your word, and we're going to look in your word for truth. We're going to look in your word for moments. That we can say, look what God was doing. Look how he worked that out. And I know, God, that it will build faith in the heart of every believer to know that if you work those things out then, you are working all things out now, God. Because we know your word says that, <laughs> God, that you work all things together for the good of them who are called according to your good purpose. Lord, we just thank you that this is true. That your word is truth. Lord, and I pray that you would sanctify us by your word, by your truth. Let God be true and every other man be a liar. God, we ask that you would help us, encourage us, and uplift us with these scriptures tonight. As we go home, God, and as we study this even more, God, I pray that you would help us to rightly divide the word of truth and to hold fast to that which is true. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.